Hi, this is Spencer. We had a technical problem with the recording today, and you'll notice that the audio quality is not up to our usual standard. Actually, the problem was more between my ears. You will hear me typing, you'll hear my dog moving around in the background and some other distracting noises, but we really think the content of today's episode is quite good. So give us a chance. Thanks. Welcome to episode 43 of The Recovery Show. We are continuing to record our episodes live. If you are online now, you will hear the raw, unedited form of this episode and will be able to interact with us in the chat room. Check the website for the time of the next recording and join us. This episode is brought to you by Vern. He used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Vern, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Do you think you have to fix something as soon as you become aware of it? Do you find yourself springing into action even before you know what the problem is? Is it difficult to know if you fully accepted something as a cue to take action? Well, join us today because we're talking about the three A's, which is awareness, acceptance, and action. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of the three A's. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Swetha. How are you today, Swetha? Good. Thanks, Spencer. And next to Swetha is our co-host Kelly. How are you doing? Um, yeah, I'm good. I'm glad <laughs> to be here. <laughs> Better than uh, here, I guess, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, the three A's, Awareness, Acceptance, and Action. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. We will follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. I'd like to start with a reading. This is from uh, the book Courage to Change on page 92. I've heard acceptance mentioned at meetings as one part of the three A's, awareness, acceptance, and action. However, I am inclined to jump from awareness to action without even pausing for acceptance. My thinking goes like this. Something's wrong. Quick, let me fix it before I have to feel any discomfort. The problem is that until I accept the situation, defect, or memory that has come to my awareness, I can rarely take effective action or live serenely with the consequences. The action doesn't work, or it makes things worse, and I feel helpless and hopeless. Even if it does work, I'm usually too full of self-doubt to realize it. Most of the time, I still have to go back, sit still, feel the feelings, and come to some acceptance. It helps to be reminded that my higher power already accepts me and my situation and loves me on the bad days as well as the good. And as I said, my name is Spencer. And I'd like to start by asking what your initial understanding of the three A's, how do you define them, and uh, maybe a little bit about how uh, you use them or how they work for you. Uh, Who'd like to start? I'll go. Thank you. Um, <laughs> All right. Thank you, Swetha. Oh, dear. Yeah. By the way, Kelly, I think we might have been duped. Remember when Spencer said he wasn't going to make us do an episode on feelings really soon? Oh. I think this is... Yeah. yeah. He just called it something else. We, 
Feelings, nothing more than feelings. Oh my god, we should have picked that song for one of the breaks. Yeah, we couldn't have because then we wouldn't have been fooled. This is all masterfully It's probably planned. hidden down there. You just you didn't look at the script, right? Actually, yeah, I think we already used that song. <laughs> okay, so awareness, acceptance, and action. I think the question was. Um, what does it mean to me and how do I apply it? Yeah, and I just want to point out, actually, that it was um, Kelly that picked that reading. Oh, subconscious. Is it a Freudian thing, Kelly, that you picked this reading about feelings? Feeling your feelings, um, yeah. No, well, I picked that reading because I can relate to that thought process of oh. moving directly from awareness to action and skipping the acceptance part. Yeah. That's really why I yeah. picked it. I probably subconsciously <laughs> just grazed right over the word feelings and didn't even realize it was in there. Yeah. Yep. So, sorry about there that. There we go. All right. Someone understands me. <laughs> I'm still six, wait, though. There is <laughs> non-perfection. Oh, man. No bodhisattvas in this room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the three A's. Well, um, kind of like what Kelly was saying, that, uh, yeah, I totally blew over the word um feelings or acceptance before before the program for me awareness acceptance and action feels kind of like um the 12 steps just sort of smushed into one nice little neat slogan um for me awareness is a lot about the first three steps um as well well i guess awareness is uh the first four steps and for me acceptance is five six and seven and uh action is eight and nine and then 10, 11, and 12 were maintenance steps. Um, I don't think I was ever, I don't even think I did part one of that. I don't think I was ever aware of anything. I was just like, oh, it needs to be fixed. Like, not is it good or bad, not anything. It just always needs to be fixed. Everyone could be laughing and wonderful, and I'm like, I haven't done this. I haven't proved myself in this situation, so I need to fix the situation. I was always in action mode. I always had to do something to fix some, fix everything. Um, and for me, awareness is, was the first thing that I had to do to get, to get better. I think at some point, even before the program, I started being aware that I was really, really unhappy. And even if that was the only thing I was aware of, that was the first, I think, moment of awareness in my life is that I was overall generally unhappy. And as I came into the program, that was encouraged more and more to be aware. And I really... I thought, no, I think I'm good here. Just I'm, I'm pissed and unhappy because more than that was really painful saying that I, saying that I could be happy and that I've made choices that uh, kept me from being that way. And, uh, and then acceptance was, I remember when I was doing steps five, six, and seven, I thought five was hard and I, and nobody tells you six and seven are hard. Everyone's like, oh my God the fifth step and the ninth step, they're so tough and this and that. And I'm like, okay, six and seven, no problem. I got over the fifth step hump. I'm good to go. And six and seven, I was like, God, why? <laughs> why is this happening? It was so difficult for me to just um, be willing to let go of these things that I thought were defects in me and just trust that my higher power had my best interest at heart and that everything that was going on was in my highest good in the long term. Action was easy. Oh, my God. Eight and nine. I was like, let's do this. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I finally just get to do something. Um, but these three things pretty much keep me sane. Like I said, they're, they're like 12 steps and 
small slogan, small, tiny for travel convenience, you know? <laughs> pocket size. <laughs> yeah, pocket size. Pocket size 12-step, sorry. Right. <laughs> exactly. I don't need to carry the whole book around with me sometimes, you know? Um, and then uh, and in any situation where I'm start, I can feel now when I'm losing touch with myself and immediately I can jump, I can remember these three things, like make sure I'm aware, just, you know, wiggle my toes or whatever, just to get more aware of where I am, that I'm right here in this moment. Um, awareness and then acceptance, just saying everything's okay, let go and let God, thy will not mind be done. And then action, uh, sometimes the hardest, it's easy for me to take action. I think the hardest thing for me is when I take the action of not doing anything. Um, yeah. Mm. That's my really long answer to your really short slogan question. <laughs> okay. Um, I can I can relate to what you are what you said, Swetha, and I I feel like I've heard <clears throat> that version before. You know how they kind of relate to the steps in chunks like that. Mm -hmm. um, but as you were talking, I was actually thinking I was thinking about something that happened this weekend, and so for me, it's almost steps one, two, and three. Like the awareness is the unmanageability piece. Like anytime I'm feeling discomfort, awkward, weirdness in my gut, you know, anytime something feels off balance, I think you use that word too, off balance. Um, you know, that's the first step. And the second step, and this is the piece that, you know, probably why I skipped over this prior to coming to the program is because I didn't have any sort of higher power or spiritual guidance. So there was nothing to turn to, to help me come to a place of acceptance. So now when I'm trying to work through a situation, it, it has to involve my higher power period. Like if, if I don't, if I don't do that, it's like, I need that piece to, um, to reduce that feeling of frazzledness hmm. that makes me want to take action. You know, when I, when I pray or meditate or do something relating to contact with my higher power, it, it sort of relieves that feeling of like sketchy chaos <laughs> and then, and then allows me to, um, most of the time, like you said, to do nothing, to just pause and wait and sit and think and process and not take action until I feel, until I feel ready or mm -hmm. until I feel that little nudge, like okay, now, now it's time, you know? Mm. And, um, so, so yeah, I was kind of feeling like steps one, two, and three. Um, and you know, for me, how the three A's work for me is it's just, it's my main tool for any sort of problem solving. You know, anytime I have a situation that I'm up against that I don't know what to do or the answer isn't clear, um, I can work through this process and it helps me come to a, a, a conclusion, a solution, an action that I feel good about instead of that like immediate gut reaction, which I usually don't feel good about. <laughs> so that's my brief definition. Okay. Well, you know, talking about before the program, uh, I was, yeah, we go straight to action here. Got a problem, fix it. Don't really think about, you know, what the problem really is, what's maybe behind it, under it, just go fix it. It's a problem. Uh, and, you know, it's funny that when you were talking about sometimes even skipping the awareness step, um, I realized that, and I, and I can't think of specific examples right now, but I'm sure, I know there were times when 
I knew something was wrong. And I didn't even take the time to figure out what was wrong. Just something's wrong. I don't feel good about this situation. Um, I got to fix it. Mm. <laughs> and I got to wonder, like, how well did that work? I'm trying to fix something I don't know what it is without being aware of what it is or accepting any of the parameters of the problem. I'm just fixing. So trying to just fix something without even knowing what it was, I don't think that really worked very well. Um, but, you know, it was it was all I had at the time. And I think my, my primary example after coming into the program, certainly the, the one that sticks out the most for me, of the of a fairly long awareness acceptance action was um, trying to decide what to do um, about my marriage. Uh, decide whether to stay married to an alcoholic who was actively drinking, uh, which was not a comfortable place to be, uh, to put it mildly, uh, or to somehow leave the marriage. And, and I didn't see... I knew that that would be a difficult thing to do, just sort of, you know, sort of physically, financially, uh, not to mention emotionally, and I didn't want to do that, uh, even without the difficulty of doing it. And I think at the beginning, the whole thought of logistics, how that would work out, um, helped to keep me from moving forward into action before I'd... And, and, and I heard people in the room saying, very simply, and this was before I'd even heard of the three A's, but they would say... If you don't know what to do, you don't have to do it. No, you're kidding. Really? <laughs> I don't have to just do something? You know? Like, I can just stand there? I can just sit there? And uh, and I sat for a couple of years um, figuring out what, you know, what was my acceptance? Um, could Could I accept the thought that she might never get sober and continue to live with her? And eventually, you know, eventually I found an answer, and that answer was yes. And so then there really wasn't much to do in the way of action. Uh, and uh, so that, that's, that's one example of how, how it worked for me and how my thinking changed from the beginning of my time here, uh, even in the first year or less. Spencer, um, Mark in the chat room... Um, says that that was a major issue for him and his wife, uh, that a, a, a marriage in the balance is hard, and he wants to know, how were you able to sit there for two years without taking action? What did you do to help? Lots of program. Lots and lots of program. Um, I mean, she was sober for eight months in the middle of it, um, and four months of those eight months she was not living at home because she was uh, in residential treatment, and so um, those eight months were, were pretty good. Um, I didn't, didn't have to feel the pain. I didn't have to think about really what to do except put one foot in front of the other, keep the kids fed, etc. cetera. Um, and by the time uh, she relapsed, I was almost a year into the program at that point. And I was able to, you know, I was working the steps. I had a sponsor. I was going to a lot of meetings. And I'll tell you, I went to start going to a lot of meetings at that point. And uh, the support of the program really is what, what let me do it. Uh, that that kept me kept me sane while I found uh, a place of center and serenity, so that I could be be sane from inside rather than uh, having to have uh, a lot of outside help. 
um, I don't know, it was hard. <laughs> and uh, I just did it. You know, sometimes sometimes there are things you, you, you don't really know how to do it. You don't really know how you're going to get through a situation. You just do because time marches on uh, and uh, and you do it. Was it mostly just um, going to meetings or did you did you have like a service commitment or fellowshipping after the meeting or anything like that that you remember? Well, I was in an AWOL group. Uh, so there were eight of us and we met weekly and we always spent some time at the beginning, sometimes at the end, talking about, you know, sort of checking in what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had support there uh, from a, a close group of, of program friends. And that was that was where I, I found this weird thing about friends in the program where, man, I know everything about your insides and almost nothing about your outside. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know where you live. I don't know what you do for a living. I don't know what your last name is. That's sort of the most obvious one. Um, maybe I know what kind of car you drive because we walk out and there it is in the parking lot. <laughs> right. uh, I don't, maybe, maybe I know your kids' names. Maybe I don't, um, you know, all kinds of things that, uh, that we take for granted when we get to know somebody and you don't know them, but you know, all these things that you have, you would never find out about your casual friends, your coworkers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just having that, that, Loving support group, um, uh, I think, helped a lot. Um, so, yeah, meetings, fellowshipping, um, reading, mm-hmm. uh, supporting my sponsor. Uh, did I do? Did I do service commitments? I know I did. Um, I would lead the sort of lead the beginners meeting whenever I could. <laughs> you know, I had to step back, like deliberately step back, because otherwise I would have just kept doing it. Um, because uh, I don't know. I mean, I found you. As, as I think, Mark, as you know, um, you find a lot of recovery in talking to somebody who's new. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sharing sharing your experience, strength, and hope with them and and maybe, get you know, getting something back. I always get something back. Uh, so it was a lot of stuff. It was just, it was, you know, it's funny. I mean, I think now I feel like I'm really living the program maybe more than I was then, but it was having probably a much bigger impact on my life back then. So moving on, um, we have a question that says, do you think it's important to work the three A's in the order they were written and why? <laughs> no, let's do action, awareness, acceptance. That's that's easier, right? <laughs> that's what I did too, but I figured once I did action, like the other two don't really, you know, I'm good. I've done what I needed to do. <laughs> Reminds me of that uh, that genius prayer that was in a, in a comic strip oh, a yeah, couple weeks yeah. ago. Is that on the website? Yeah. Okay, I found it. God grant me the courage to change the things I cannot accept, serenity to accept the things I've changed, and the wisdom to know I'm different. <laughs> that sounds like exactly what I used to say a couple <laughs> years ago. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I think the, the only time they work out of order is when I need to make an amends. Because that means I took action first, and then I have to go back and do a check on myself of, uh, awareness and acceptance to figure out where I went wrong. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, not doing them in order was the first thing that I screwed up, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, if I've already taken action and I don't like the outcome and it doesn't feel good, then I kind of need to, to, to put them back in order and relook at the situation 
and wait until I come to a place of acceptance and then make the amends, you know, because if I, again, if I skip the acceptance part, the amends is not going to come out right either. So. <clears throat> How much is it? You, you, if that's on, on the order of the three A's. Oh, yeah. I think that um, the three A's are really useful in that. I'm going to pull another slogan in here. Um, I think another slogan we use is do the next right thing. And I'm always, I know, okay, for example, this past couple of weeks, I've been, uh, I walked into a situation where I knew that every possible trigger that I had ever, like all of my deepest, darkest fears would, um, all those alarm bells would be going off and not for an hour not for a day, but for two and a half weeks. And, uh, um, well, <laughs> I, I think that in the beginning I, I, resorted to my mind went straight to action my mind was like we need to fix this everything needs to be all the ducks need to line up so we're just going to go ahead and scoot those ducks over uh, the ducks aren't moving let's pull in a forklift you know like go all out and we need to do all sorts of extreme stuff to get the ducks in line um and as soon as my mind went there i started feeling myself my t- chest was tightening i was panicking and i called people i guess the first thing i did i didn't even realize i was calling people so that was that's really good that my knee-jerk physical reaction is grabbing my phone and um i after a while uh i I, i've calmed down like i was able to when i talked as soon as i talked to people i was aware of what was happening because i had to explain what was going on and um as i was explaining i would hear the people talking just listening they're not like oh my god what what are you doing you know nothing like that they're just like oh okay well that sounds difficult this is really great of you to you know open yourself up to growth and it was just so accepting even if what i'm saying to the phone is i have to fix all of this i have to change the world if only i had a military force that i don't know i had really elaborate plots in my head for this to work (laughs) out you know I was trying to change an entire country in, by the end of the story. But um, just hearing other people let me talk allowed me to just be like, okay, it's okay that I'm talking. It almost felt like a mini fifth step where I was, I think I said this earlier in an earlier episode, where I was like, I tell my sponsor one thing and then pause and look at her and then tell her the next worst thing. <laughs> and that's what I ended up doing. And I felt more accepting there. And then by that point, the action... Yeah, I mean, if I didn't do it in that order, that action, I can tell you right now, that action would be horrible. I could probably end up being arrested that way. But um, the really nice thing about the three A's in the order that it is, I don't have to worry about the action till the very, very end, which is probably what I need to do, <laughs> is not focus on that at all. And how can you, how could you do the, four, the three in a, not in order? Oh, very easily, very easily. In fact, um, I know how you can skip them, but I don't know how you can do them not in order. Oh. Um, well, I have an example. Oh, let's hear it. Uh, from very, very recently, in fact. Um, and but, but before I start that, mm-hmm. I realize there is something that can come before awareness, awesome. which is this, this feeling that something's wrong, this feeling that I'm not comfortable, I'm, um, I'm in pain, spiritually, emotionally, whatever. I don't know what's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's not really awareness. And I don't know what to call it. But that's a signal that, that there is something, and, and I should look around and see if I can figure out maybe what it is and become aware um, of the problem. Mark says it's called anxiety. <laughs> oh, that's perfect, Mark. Thank you. Four A's. Anxiety, awareness, acceptance, action. Yes. Oh, my God. That's so yes. amazing. Write the text. Oh, Mark. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Enabling our OCD yeah, one letter so, at a time. 
so very recently, I was feeling really uncomfortable about something that was in my head. Um, I was aware of the, the thing. I became aware, basically I became aware of, of something I had done in the past that I was um, not proud of. And my first thought was, I need to get this out of my head. I need to, you know, do the fifth step thing. I need to tell God myself and another human being. But I hadn't taken the time to come to acceptance of, of this thing that, that was making me uncomfortable. And so maybe my action was the same. Maybe I would have talked, called somebody after I came to acceptance, but the motivation behind the action was very different. The motivation behind the action was, I'm going to talk to you and you're going to take my pain away. Mm. Okay. I was looking for relief outside myself. And when the person, one of the people that I, that I wanted to tell it to was not available, that rebounded back on me because now the action that I was going to take to fix the situation wasn't working. And so I went into one of those little, you know, sort of, um, an emotional relapse really. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as my minister told me, my drug of choice is other people. And when I can't get that drug, I'm Jonesing. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and that's where I was. And so I was forced to sit with it because there was nothing else I could really think of to do. And in sitting with it, I came to a better acceptance of oh. what was there. Um, and I came to an understanding that just reaching out and, and laying it on somebody else was not the solution. You know, it's part of the process, but it's not the solution. And it shouldn't come first, I think. You know, I really had not inventoried what was there. I just, this thing came up. I hate this thing. I don't want to be feeling this thing. And I'm going to lay it on you so that I can get rid of this thing. And, uh, you know, so, um, I thought about it. I sat on it. Um, I prayed, I slept on it. And in the morning, it was much clearer to me what had been happening. And the anxiety went away. The, um, this, this sort of feeling frantic feeling of I've got to do something right now was gone. And so, you know, I haven't finished the action, um, and it's okay. Um, and I'm and, and I'm not sure I'm quite ready. Um, so it's it, it 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 was an interesting process for me. And and I until we started talking this this after this evening, I really hadn't thought about it in terms of awareness, acceptance, action. But it was it was awareness, action. Action fails. <laughs> um, Can we say action aborted in keeping with the A action there? <laughs> I, just that? I don't know. Are we going to get in trouble for saying aborted? Uh, not my whole <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. That was a really bad joke. Sorry. Um, 
Yeah, and 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 being in that sort of frantic aborted action state of mind, I think was more painful than <laughs> if I hadn't tried to take action in the first place. Mm. If I had given myself time to to sit with it, to think about it, to to pray on it, to meditate. Um, because when I did that, like I said, <laughs> you know, it's still there, but I don't have, it's not a hot potato that I have to toss to somebody else now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I did, I did manage to talk to one person and that helped, that helped. And I think that helped me, um, when I moved into the, the acceptance phase and, and the inventory phase, uh, that, um, I think if I hadn't been able to, to talk to anybody, I would have been, I don't know, my head would have exploded or something. I mean, I suppose not, but <laughs> <laughs> sort of what it feels like. Um, I don't know, Kelly, did you have thoughts on the order of the three A's? I don't remember if you already remarked on that or not. Um, I did. Yeah. Okay. What about other Al-Anon tools? And we've talked about some tools that, um, you find sort of go along with the three A's uh, and we, I guess some suggestions here, patience, pause button, meditation, staying in the moment or what else. Um, and, and I think some have been mentioned, but are there others? Uh, Swetha. I think I mentioned uh, the next right thing. Um, other things. I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is necessarily a, a short slogan, but I think that the three A's ended up helping a lot when I was doing the sixth and seventh step, uh, because I think there was also, um, this, this awareness that everything that just being aware of who I was and just accepting who I was and being able to live my life, being completely honest with myself about what has happened in my past. And I think that required a lot of, a lot of three A stuff and definitely a lot of, a lot of trust in my I'm so sorry, Jake. It's so cute, puppy. Um, <laughs> I was just—I was becoming aware of Jake standing there, and I was accepting the situation. And, <laughs> and the then, action was the petting. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, I think I think the three A's. I think everything groups into the three A's for me, but definitely, um, definitely, next right thing. Don't just do something. Stand there, and. Uh, yeah, also all the 12 steps. Let's just put, like I said, pocket size, <laughs> pocket size Alan on workbook right there. Awareness, acceptance, action. Yeah. All right. Um, I had an opportunity to use quite a few tools. I'm going to go back to my example that I mentioned earlier. So I was at this um, event this weekend, and there were about 50 people there. It was a lot more people than we've ever had at this particular event. And... Um, <coughs> So, um, and it was a mix of, of alcoholics and other program folks, um, all stuck together in one building. Els <laughs> and Anons all together. <laughs> yes, Els and Anons. And, um, we, we all sort of discovered really quickly that the walls were very thin and that you could hear your neighbors and you could hear people that were out in the lobby and, you know, people were trying to go to sleep, etc. So, um... So I was uh, trying to fall asleep, and the, the people in the room next to me came back and started a conversation, um, and I could hear, like, I could hear the breathing between words. The walls were so thin. Oh, jeez. Oh. 
And they were having this conversation about myself and a few other people that were at this event. And, oh, um, man. yeah. So, um, I was really torn at this. So that's the uncomfortable feeling, right? I'm having this uncomfortable feeling and I'm aware that there is a problem. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I, uh, I wanted to take action. Like my, the first thought that popped in my head was I need to get out of bed and go knock on the door and say like, maybe you guys should stop having this conversation right now or whisper or something. And, um, I didn't take any action. Well, I did actually, I got up and I turned the thermostat on and it kicked on this fan, which like sort of drowned out the majority of what they were saying. Like I still hear this like humming underneath, but, um, sort of band-aid solved the situation. And then um, I slept horribly, of course, because I was fretting about it, I'm sure, all night. I had really weird dreams. And um, I got up the next morning, and the first thing I did was I texted my sponsor. And I said, this is the situation. I, I asked her two questions. One, do I, do, is there any sort of action that I should take? And two, do I owe these people an amends for listening in on their conversation as long as I did? <laughs> I'm curious to see what she said. <laughs> Um, well, her response was, um, I don't know. Let me think about it. I'm going to get back to you. Ah. So that left me um, still feeling awkward and uncomfortable and left with no um, answer, which I was hoping to get. And fortunately, there were several things that happened, um, one of which was we had a meeting. So I went to a meeting, which was really good. Yay. It was very helpful. It was a good distraction. Got my mind off the situation. Um, and then after the meeting, we had free time. So I took my, um, step workbook outside and I did some step work, which, workbook. you know, is what I tell my sponsees to do. So it's good that I'm, you know, leading by example, I guess. And, um, and then we had a scheduled meditation. There was 20 minutes mm. guided meditation and 20 minutes silent meditation. And in between those two things, I called a friend, someone who, um, it's kind of my go-to whenever shit's falling apart. Like she's the one that I call and she totally talked me down off the ledge and she got pissed at them for me, which was good. Like she sort of <laughs> absorbed those feelings and, and she was like, I'm going to be pissed. So you don't have to be. So that was, you know, really helpful. Um, and then I did 40 minutes of meditation, which, you know, um, it, it's one of those things like meditation was always really, really tough for me until I just did it like I just had to make myself do it and it's insanely healing it's really really effectively healing when I can manage to sit down and do it and make time for it and so I did all of those things and um so so yeah tools so meditation called my sponsor pause button um called a friend called a friend <laughs> um did stuff work <laughs> And, um, so ultimately the choice that I made in terms of action was to take no action. And through the meditation, I was actually able to come to a place of acceptance, um, because the, the conversation that I overheard, you know, I, I know something about the extenuating circumstances of the people who were having the conversation. And I know that, um, you know, they are where they are right now and they're maybe not in a place where they they couldn't not have that conversation. And so I could be accepting of them for where they are and just let it go. 
Letting go. That's another tool. Mm-hmm. Letting go. I think yeah. you said that though. Sweet though. Letting go is a good um, tool. Good one to yeah. say again and again. <laughs> and I, you know, I feel good about it now. I didn't, I, the action was not to take any action. The action was to, to be accepting mm-hmm. and let go. And, um, yeah, thank God for all of those tools because I needed all of them. Like one tool was not going to help me through that situation. Kind of like you were talking about Spencer. Like I was looking for the one thing that was going to fix it. And there was not one thing. Like I needed all of those eight things that I did. I feel like Spencer and I in our heads are both going all the things. (laughs) All the things. Yes. Need to fix all the things. Now, um, excuse me. You know, the first thing that came to my mind when you started telling the story, Kelly, was that you were in a situation where not taking any action led to a continuation of the thing that was bothering you, right? I mean, if you did nothing, you would be continuing to listen to this conversation that you didn't want to hear. Um, and when do you know when you're in that kind of situation and, and what kind of action do you take? And I feel like you took an action that alleviated the problem, the immediate problem and alleviated making it worse. And that then allowed you to sit on it, to sit with it, and to have the time to come to acceptance. Does that make sense? You know, you went, you got up and you turned on the fan, right? So you didn't have to hear the conversation. Rather than, than banging on the wall or, <laughs> or you know, going over and, man, I tell you, I would have been really tempted to just bang on the wall and say, shut up. You know, I can hear every single word you're saying. Shut up. Really? I would have been more snarky and been like, man, roommate, do you know how thin these walls are? Isn't that fascinating? You can hear everything. That's an aggressive much. Yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I also I have I have uh, two words. Uh, something that I always take with me to a retreat because it's essential for me: earplugs. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> always. If I if I'm going to be sleeping in in a room with even a couple other guys, gotta have them. Um, I mean, especially with the whole probability of it, you get two or three guys in a room, how many of them are going to be snorers, mm-hmm. but, which I don't know, maybe that's less of a problem at a women's retreat. I can't relate to anything <laughs> you guys are saying. If I'm tired, I will literally fall asleep mid-sentence, mid-my sentence, in the middle of a word. Honestly, <laughs> it's done. Dang. Um, you know, so we've been talking a lot about acceptance, and we got an email from our friend Ruth about acceptance. Ruth? Uh, I guess is not able to join us tonight because she's trying to take care of herself and get sleep, which is a damn good thing. Yeah. I guess it's like midnight in Germany or later than that now. Um, She said, I've thought about the topic and would like to share what happened last week in my life. I've had some stressful weeks and suddenly another task came up. And not surprising, it was already urgent. The evening I went home not knowing how to handle it and more sure that I wouldn't find an answer to it. I did my evening reading and my prayers, but after that, during the night, and as soon as I opened my eyes, my thoughts were on the issue again. I drank my coffee and downloaded an older episode, number three, Acceptance, on my device to listen to it on my way to work. When I'm really in fear and panic, I don't manage to meditate or pray very well. The only thing that could bring me to a more stable uh, state is to listen and processing what I hear on a recovery podcast. Someone said, or was quoted in that episode, Acceptance is the solution to all my problems today. And that's um, from, from a story in the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But it's, it's a great um, 
Actually, we were at a meeting last week where they, they that was one of the opening readings was that, uh, that little piece. So I tried to apply that to my situation. When I can accept that things are late already, then there may not be much left for me to do about it. It won't ruin the company, but people may be unsatisfied with me and putting even more pressure on me. On the other hand, they may also be grateful for what I have contributed to better the situation. That is tomorrow, or in this case, in the next year. So what can I do today? I'm still not good at asking for help, but I feel responsible to tell my manager that I wouldn't be able to fix the situation. Ha ha. So she looked at the task and simply said, it is not in your scope. And besides that, it may be only due at the end of next year. So where's the urgency there? Well, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you. So I spent one more night with useless worries. I realized different things. Again, worrying never helps. And I can only ask my higher power to let that go. And I may finally accept that this worrying about things I cannot change is my real problem, not late tasks. Accepting this may be the first step into the direction of recovery and better sleep. <laughs> grateful, Ruth. And we are grateful that you contribute and what, all, all that you do, Ruth. Mm -hmm. um, tools. God, you guys talked about so many. I don't know. Um, I mean, I talked about some of the tools I used in coming to acceptance um, with the, the question of my marriage, um, mm -hmm. which a lot of, uh, you know, the reading and, and support from from friends in the program support from a sponsor and uh, you know probably wasn't real good at the prayer and meditation thing back then i was still figuring that stuff i'm still figuring that stuff out <laughs> um you know see my uh, meditation on the website today about how i'm still figuring that stuff out and uh you know and i'm sure that i used slogans um a lot of let go and let god uh you know the things i can't change um, to let go of them and and that was that was a tool I used very very early in the program was was letting go of the things that I had no control over because I couldn't just couldn't manage that way otherwise. Do these do these um, three A's? Do you think they have anything to do with faith? Um, actually, Spencer, I wanted to mention something about Ruth that I noticed in Ruth's email where she said that when she's in a fear and panic state, she doesn't manage to meditate or pray very well, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I do that too. Uh, but something, and even when I do meditate, even when I try to force myself to meditate, my mind races so much that I'm not really meditating so much mm. as panicking with my eyes closed. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> usually that's because I haven't come to an awareness state first. I'm just kind of like, I, I, I essentially, if I can't use another person to fix my problems or my discomfort, I try to use meditation too. But um, it's, it, it, you have to do it in an order. You know, there's a reason why it's set up the way it is. Three, three A's are set up the way they are. I use meditation to do the acceptance piece. And if I'm not aware first, acceptance isn't going to work that well. Mm -hmm. And so um, sometimes when I'm panicked or fearful in that way and my meditation is failing terribly, um, I just try to open my eyes and uh, sit still and just do something that brings my awareness back to the present moment, not like 10 years in advance or one year, apparently one year in advance in Ruth's case, or even like 10 seconds from now. I just sit there. Um, something that really helps me is just sitting in a chair and then pushing my feet into the ground, just the ball of my feet into the ground and then back up again. And you can feel the tension in your thighs and your calves and your feet. And then immediately I'm just like tuned back into myself and into my body. And then then I can calm down a little bit and then I can meditate and then I'm not just panicking with my eyes closed. So yeah, I'm sorry to put that out there for 
people that have difficulty meditating. Sometimes. I get upset about the meditation too, but, um, you know, for me, like, like you said, trying to sit there in a silent room and focus sometimes is, is I'm totally capable of and other times I'm not. I'm, I'm more often capable when I'm meditating with a group of people because I have that accountability of everyone else that's trying to do the same thing. Um, but when I use a guided meditation that has someone else's voice that sort of walks you through, um, that helps me to turn off the noise in my head because I can focus on that other voice that's not mine, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also thought Ruth touched on another tool. I, can, I don't know if it's really a tool, but maybe more of like a slogan. But she was talking about worrying. And I know that we have a phrase that we use a lot in the program, worry is not preparation. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that really ties into the three A's, um, you know, because it just, it well, first of all, it doesn't start with A, but it doesn't fit in there anywhere. You know, worry, there's no place for worry in that process. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of sort of tries to take you off the path. Worry awareness, worry, 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 acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> I think when somebody told me once that worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair, it feels like you're doing a lot, but you're not going anywhere. <laughs> I know it works because it rhymes. So right there. You're sitting in a rocking chair. You're not. It but you're not like you're doing anywhere. a lot, but you're not going mm-hmm. anywhere. You know, I was at a retreat this weekend too, although not the same one, being not a woman. Um, and we did an exercise. We did a lot of trying to feeling, feeling our feelings. Um, but we did this exercise about worry, which was to bring to mind something that we're currently worrying about or that we could be worrying about and to think through three possible endpoints. He said, and he, he, he called the first one the, the best case or the fairy tale ending. Mm-hmm. Um, the absolute worst ending you can imagine. And then a sort of neutral in between the two endings. Mm-hmm. And then to sort of think about, meditate on, if you will, the, you know, the likelihood of those various endings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and I feel like that's, you know, it, it's not a tool that I've learned here, but it, it felt like a tool that I really could use. And the situation I picked was my mother's health, which is, uh, she's in her early 80s, and her health is deteriorating significantly. And, uh, you know, so my fairy tale ending is that they figure out exactly what's going on, and they're things that are easy to fix with medication or maybe a little bit of surgery or something. And, and she goes on to live a, you know, a happy pain-free life to into her nineties. That's, that's my fairy tale ending, you know, not very likely. Okay. I agree. But, you know, still thinking about that. And, 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 but I think also recognizing that it's not realistic um, may be helpful to me too, uh, because it, then it keeps me from sort of, you know, being in denial about reality. Um, The worst case, I started out thinking that the worst case was that she would die suddenly. And I realized that that for me actually would not be the worst case. The worst case was that she would continue to live for quite a while in pain and confusion and, and die a really slow, painful death. Um, And I think when, when I'm sitting in my fear about her health, that's I'm, I'm envisioning that kind of ending that, 
that it's it's just going to go go just downhill and it's going to be awful. And you know, I think a more realistic solution is that her health will continue to decline and um, that she will probably die you know, in in five years or I don't know. You know, I don't want to say less than five years. I'm still in that fear, uh, but that and you know there will be pain, but it won't be horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know. I think it helped a little. I think it helped a little. It, and at least I was able to bring it out and talk about it mm-hmm. rather than holding it inside my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was an interesting an interesting tool. Kind of on the topic of worry, um, Beth in the chat room added this quote that says, worrying does not empty tomorrow of its troubles. It empties today of its strength. I like that. Thanks, yeah, Beth. Really good. So, um, how do we know? And I think, I know you, Kelly, you talked a little bit about how you know when you've sort of reached the acceptance and you're ready to take action. Maybe both of you talked about that. I don't know. But, um, let's come back, come, come around to that. How, how do we know that, yeah, Hey, I've spent enough time like doing this acceptance thing and now I'm ready to do something or I know I don't need to do something. Um, I think my sponsor told me when I, I think I asked her that question in a significantly more obnoxious way when I was first in the program. <laughs> and, uh, and she said that when you can let go of the solution, when you can be totally okay with whatever it is that happens, whether you take action or don't take action, that's when you know you've accepted it. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. She's pretty, she's pretty profound. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, I think that's, that, was, that was pretty spot on. I, I guess her higher power was speaking through her. Huh? I guess. Yeah. yeah so. Sometimes people say things and don't remember them or know where they came from. <laughs> Um, for, for me, it's when I reach that place of calm, you know, because, you know, as we've talked about feeling that need to act when we're in that spun out state of anxiety as Mark so aptly provided. Thank you. Um, I just know from trial and error over many, many years that when I, when I act in that state, it just, it doesn't have a good outcome. And so if I can wait, sit, do all of, use all of those tools. And then when I hit that place of calm, of acceptance of the situation, then I know it's time to act. You know, I'm not going to do anything irrational or crazy or something that will, would you say earlier? Give me jail time? Something? Prison? I don't remember. I'm still stuck on the club panicking with my eyes closed thing. I was like, oh man, I'm going to be doing some of that tonight. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what about you, Spencer? How do you know when you hit acceptance? Uh, yeah, I knew you were going to ask me that because I'm <laughs> coming around the table at me and I'm thinking, how do I know? How do I know? And, and well, okay, so, you know, the, the recent situation I was talking about, um, I knew, I guess it's sort of the same thing you said. I knew that I was at acceptance when I, I was able to, to, to live with either outcome, that the franticness was gone, the need to have a particular outcome was gone. Doesn't mean I don't have a preferred outcome. Hmm. Okay. I'm, a, I'm human. 
Um, I, I, there, there are some outcomes that I would like better than others, I'm sure. But I think it's that it, it that's a very good uh, a very good sort of rule of thumb. I like that. Any any uh, ideas from the chat room on this? Oh, you just got a funny, huh? <laughs> Mark says Sway thought math is the language God used. Oh, preach ah. it, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Uh, final thoughts. Um, I was just thinking this through the course of the episode, and I couldn't put it into words just now, but I think that like with the steps, um, the using those, using awareness, acceptance, action is a, is a cumulative thing. That is as soon I can do awareness, but as I'm working on acceptance, I need to be aware of my acceptance. Like maybe I'm 50% accepting the situation at this point, And maybe that's enough to take an action without being biased. If I need to things like that. Um, and then I need both of those to move into action. I need to be aware of what I'm, what the choices I'm making and accepting of whatever outcome happens in order to do action. So I was just thinking that those three, those three are cumulative, much like the steps. You don't just do step nine and totally forget about all the other steps in front of them. Kelly. Oh man. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's, for me, it was a tough process to grasp onto. I didn't, I didn't like the idea of waiting before I took action. You know, sometimes that, that pain just feels so imminent. Like, yep. like you need, like you need to do something to make it go away. And, um, and I didn't like the thought of acceptance first of all, and then waiting for acceptance. I mean, that was like, I don't have time for that. I got stuff to do, you know? <laughs> But, um, but it, you know, to me, it really is a beneficial process today. And I'm sure that I'm sure that, uh, my coworkers and loved ones also appreciate this process because they get a, a lot less, um, of my wrath as a result. Okay. And, um, it was, it was a really important thing for me to learn because as, as we've seen, I can still go straight to action, uh, maybe even without total awareness. And doesn't usually end up in a good place when that happens. So uh, need to remember to do it. I need to remember to take that time, hit that pause button. Uh, take the time to uh, really understand what's going on, which is, is comes through the acceptance. And uh, so we do have a closing reading. Today's reminder, moving from awareness to acceptance to action takes time but the benefits are worth the wait. As I learn to accept my defects, circumstances, and feelings, I learn that I am a worthwhile human being just as I am. With that kind of self-acceptance, I begin to see my options, and slowly I can begin to take action to change. There's a quote someone suggested, I stop concentrating on changing myself and think first about accepting myself. That gave me the boost I needed. Okay, so I have one more final thought, which I never really thought about. Oh, awareness, acceptance, action is applied to um, changing myself. Oops. Although that's what the steps are, as you said. So um, after a, a short break, we'll continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. Swetha, what is our song coming up here? It's, uh, it's called Rabbit Heart by Florence and the Machine. In the song, she says, I'm a rabbit-hearted girl, frozen in the headlights, and it seems I've made the final sacrifice, which to me speaks of like the pain she's feeling in that moment and that she's really scared. And uh, a later 
line, she says, I must become a lion-hearted girl ready for a fight before I make the final sacrifice. And I think she's, the song in the song, she's straddling um, being afraid and coming to that point of awareness and acceptance before she dies. section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. Swethi, you want to start? Oh, <laughs> saw me resting my head, did you, Spencer? <laughs> Maybe subconsciously. <laughs> um, sure, what did I do this week? Um, I have a loved one visiting, and that has inspired me to run straight towards my spiritual life. Um, I went to the Wednesday meeting. I think we talked about slogans there. I didn't really connect that much with this meeting. I think it was um, kind of like I was mentioning with the meditation where sometimes I've just not come to that point of acceptance or mm. awareness and I just close my eyes and it's panicking with my eyes closed. At the meeting, I was just panicking with my eyes open. I was like, oh yeah, I'm totally listening and totally into this. But really the entire time, I brought my loved one with me to the meeting and the entire time I kept looking over at her like, is she liking it? Is she going to come back? Like, what is she doing? Why is she texting? She shouldn't be texting. They told her to turn the phone off. What is happening? Did she just check the time? My and sponsor's going to yell at her for texting. <laughs> just kidding. I, I, actually, I actually, at some point later, she was like trying to 
And I remember doing this when I was first in the program, and she was like trying to figure out Al-Anon, and uh, she was asking me all these questions, and I was I was trying to answer them best I could without being like, just go to another meeting. And she goes, well, I don't, I don't know. What do you do? You, why do you think that you can't answer these questions for me? And I was like, let me give you a phone list of people that can answer these questions better. Let's start with Kelly right there and right <laughs> after her there's Spencer and there's all these other people just call all of those people but uh I think that would have been forcing a solution there was no awareness or exception there acceptance there that was just straight action right there um so you didn't of course god no no another thing my brilliant sponsor told me early on was you know it's always a good idea to take pause when you're not sure what to do or if you're really sure what to do um because you're probably gonna have to end up making amends for it later and i was really sure that was what i was supposed to do so i didn't um, <laughs> oh man i wish i'd had that advice the other night might have been a lot better <laughs> I also go to see this. Uh, I also see this therapist that's really into spirituality, and uh, it's really nice because I feel like it's just a place for me to just explode everything that's going on in my life. And uh, and more and more lately, those meetings have just been her reminding me that that everything is happening in my highest good, even if I'm in a rage, even if I'm in pain, that it's okay and that it's in the high, it's in my highest good. Which oh god, I really needed to hear that last week. Um, and Friday we had a meeting that you guys were not at. Dang it, I can't tell you. Well, it would have been a reading out of oh, Courage to Change, right? Yep, it was a reading. And, uh, and I think it was kind of about that also. I thought, man, my higher power is really calling me out right now because it was about <laughs> just, you know, accepting things as they are and that everything is working. As I remember it, that everything is working in our highest good. So that was, that was my week, more or less. Oh, I panic called... 10 people literally in a row in 10 minutes uh, on Saturday. Nobody picked up. Um, and I couldn't meditate because I was out at a farmer's market and it's really, I was with a group of people and it's not like you could just cop a squat on the curb, you know? And so I. Give me five minutes, guys. <laughs> it might be 10. I'll let you know. And uh, I would have panicked. Stay in Arbor, you know, people probably would have understood. <laughs> it was oh, it was, oh, okay. Well then, yeah. Um, and I was, pan I was sure I was panicking with my, gonna panic with my eyes closed. So, I just, um, I called a bunch of people. And then I thought, okay, if nobody answered, that's my higher power telling me not to do anything until someone calls back. So I'm good. My to do list clear. <laughs> nothing to do. Just shut up and do the next right thing. <laughs> just focus on yourself. And that was. That was really nice. I also did that foot thing where I kept bouncing on the balls of my feet. People thought I was weird. That's okay. At least I wasn't crazy, you know, weird over raging against someone. I can do weird. I've done weird my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kelly, I think uh, you have a lot to talk about I mean, this week. Huh? I know. I was just thinking in my head, like, how am I going to keep this to a decent length? Um, okay. So, anyway, Monday. Monday we recorded. Tuesday, um, went to the screening of the movie, The Anonymous People. And, um, you know, I'm interested to hear what other people's reactions are. Cause I feel like the few people that I've talked to have been sort of guarded in their response, but, um, I thought it was freaking amazing. I mean, there was so, so much in information in there that I had no idea about. Um, yeah, yeah. Do we want to talk about that now, or do we want to like come back around after we've talked about the rest of our week? What well, do you think? 
Yeah, we'll come back around. Okay. okay. Um, uh, Wednesday went to a meeting. It was on slogans. Always good to hear. Love that message. Um, Thursday went to the Canton Candlelight anniversary open speaker party, and that was um, <clears throat> that was amazing. The speaker, um, I I don't recall how many years he had, but it was a long a long time that he had been in recovery, and. Um, uh, you know, I had, I had that familiar feeling that you get when you go to a meeting that's not one of your home groups or not in your area. Like the second I walked in, I felt like everybody in the room turned and looked at us and I wanted to be like, Spencer, this is a mistake. Let's go. Too many alcoholics here. I'm uncomfortable. Um, but, uh, but stuck it out and it was definitely worth staying for. And, um, was really cool. I got to see some of the fellows from the Recovered podcast. Um, Chris, who I had met before, we had recorded together, and um, Joe, who I had never met, um, but I've heard him a lot. And uh, it was really cool to finally get a get to put a face with the name. So that was uh, had a blast there. And oh, and Russ too. Got to see Russ and Chad, and yeah, that was fun. And then. Um, over the weekend, went to the um, recovery retreat, and the topic for the weekend was <clears throat> honesty, forgiveness, freedom. And uh, man, it was—I'm uh, going to refrain from swearing up a storm, but it was—I'll uh, say emotionally exhausting. I was going to never mind. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was amazing. I mean, it was a totally amazing group of women. Um, I really got to spend some time with and connect with people, some people that I don't see very often, but definitely admire from afar, admire their recovery, um, in both programs and, uh, just insanely emotional, like just a lot of, um, a lot of honesty, a lot of just everybody putting themselves out there and, um, not, you know, not not, um, censoring at all. And it was really amazing. So I'm, I'm super glad I went. Um, and then I needed like the rest of Sunday to just decompress. Cause it was a lot, it was a lot to take in. So, um, yeah. Spencer? Well, yeah. So Monday we recorded Tuesday. I went to the anonymous people, which, uh, really you should, you should seek out the movie and we'll talk more about it uh, in, a, in a minute or two. It's, uh, a lot of a lot of good stuff there, and a lot of th- stuff to make me think. And uh, Wednesday, same meeting, slogans. Uh, I remember something really struck me, but I can't remember what it was now. Oh well. Um, Thursday, went with Kelly over to Canton Candlelight. Uh, we, you know, were each other's support. So when we walked in, and all the alcoholics turned and looked at us, which they didn't actually really all turn and look no, at us. No, I'm sure you know, they didn't. They it didn't. just felt yeah, that way. I know, I know. <laughs> um, I remembered, I went to that that meeting two years ago, and I knew nobody except the guy who had invited me, which was Mark. And talk about uncomfortable, because I got there early, being, you know, good codependent. I thought I was supposed to get there early, you know, for the party part, and Mark wasn't there. So it was me and a whole bunch of guys that were, I didn't know. There you go, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark, this one's for you. <laughs> I don't know if he's still in the chat room or not, but hey, he'll, he'll listen to it later if he's not. And, uh, you know, but I survived. 
I didn't die, right? Right, Swetha? Right. Yeah. I see you here, so yeah. either I've got a really bad problem or <laughs> I didn't die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this, this year was much more comfortable because I had been there once and kind of knew it was up. And I knew some people. And I was talking to my wife on the weekend and, and telling her about it. And uh, I said, yeah, I knew, I knew a couple people. Well, three, four, five, six, maybe seven. <laughs> I, was, I just kept thinking of another person. Oh, yeah, I knew that person. I knew that person. So uh, it was good talk. Uh, there was some great fellowship around it. And uh, so I'm glad I went. And then Friday through Sunday, I was also at a retreat. This was a men's retreat for men at my church. I think there were about 60 men there. And that retreat is a combination. There's some workshops, there's some worship, there's campfire. Uh, and But sort of the core of the retreat is breaking up into small groups, which they call lodges for some reason. Uh, there are you know, maybe eight or nine guys in a group. And we meet three times, and there's a little bit of a curriculum that we follow with, with you know, exercises. I told you about one of them, about worry. Uh, the first, the first meeting sort of getting to know each other, and the second meeting started to get into the, the real meat of it. The theme of the workshop of the retreat was the mindfulness of now, and so there was some mindfulness work uh, about being in the present. Uh, there was a lot of, a lot of work of, recalling, an incident in the past that had strong feelings associated with it. Trying to feel those feelings and then. Noticing what was going on in your body as you felt those feelings. And yeah, that was, um, <laughs> there, there was some difficult, difficult times there, I will say. And uh, so that was, it was, it, I'm glad I went. I, I had my usual on Friday thing like, oh man, I got to go to this retreat. I'm going to be sleeping in a bunk in a sleeping bag. And, and a bunch of guys, and you know, I know a lot of them, but it's going to be just work. And and I always, I know I always have to push through that feeling. I have to push through that feeling, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, a retreat or, or anything that is taking me out of my routine. Um, I have to push through that because, you know, I had a great time. Um, got to meet some new guys. Uh, our particular small group, was ranged from I think upper twenties to eighty something in age, um, and uh, you know we were able to connect with each other and and everybody contributed and and you know made some new friends and that's cool. And last night I went to a meeting, and the meeting was on the uh, the reading of the day from Courage to Change, which. It was about violence and abuse. And since we'd been talking about my rage being violence, um, I shared about that. And I think probably I was sort of emotionally opened up from the, from the retreat, and I really felt what I was saying strongly. And then several other people around the table also shared about being the violent one in their relationship with their alcoholic. And, you know, my violence didn't come out my rate. Well, my rage came out some on my alcoholic, mostly on my kids. Um, and, uh, you know, it was very, it was, wow. It was extremely powerful. At the end, I actually spoke up and asked for hugs 
because I was feeling really fragile. And, and that feeling carried over into, into the coming home. It took me a while to, to, to come down from it. So, uh, the anonymous people, Kelly. Yes. Yeah. So what I felt was the theme of the, the film was, it was really, I don't know, theme the, the, I think the aim of the film was to get people sort of inspired to advocate for better support and understanding recovery in society. Is that, so yeah, that's what I heard. I, no, I agree with you. I, th I think uh, part of the message was that maybe people today feel like the idea of anonymity has been misconstrued. That too, yes, yes. Um, so there was a lot of about how do we advocate while staying, quote, anonymous. Right. Um, because, um, and and there was... There was some language in there. Some people, some people saying things about, well, you know, anonymity is all about shame, and I and I don't, I I see that that's a part of anonymity, that when you're ashamed of what you've done, um, it's you don't want to expose that. You don't want to you know be out and open about that. But there's to me, there's a lot more about anonymity that is important um, to uh, to for me, partly for there being a safe place for me to do the recovery work, um, that, that, and this is, this is, not, this is, this is stuff I've been thinking about for a long time, but that I need to be in control of what information about me I, I, I reveal. Mm -hmm. And, and if somebody else takes that away from me, then I'm no longer safe. I no longer feel emotionally safe. Mm. Um, and uh, so that's, I don't know, that's one part. I, again, I wrote, actually wrote a meditation about anonymity the day after seeing the movie, um, sort of the, the ways in which I see anonymity working in the program. Um, what did it say to you? I, well, I, th I think part of, part of kind of the flip side of that message that I heard at least was that there are some really negative stereotypes and connotations that go along with Alcoholics Anonymous, that in part because of anonymity, there are people who don't want to come into recovery mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. of these negative stereotypes that go around. Right. And so, you know, with some of the statistics that you look at, even though the rates of success in AA are not, you know, anything to shout about, it, it does seem to be the most helpful way for addicts and alcoholics to to gain a, a, a way of living without substance and um and and with that negative stereotype it, it sort of pushes people away who may end up dying as a result of the disease because they were too scared to come into a program that they didn't understand yeah and i i felt like another another thrust of of a lot of what they were saying was uh, about changing our language. Yes. About saying they were very, very sort of adamant about saying, I am a person in recovery. Long term recovery. In long term recovery, not I'm an oh, alcoholic. No. Um, and I, I think, I guess for me, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, okay, but for me, I feel like I, the people that I know who are many of the people that I know who are in the program, I, f I feel have expressed to me that it's important for them to keep that identity 
fresh. Uh, that they have said that that you know they need to be reminded that this is a chronic progressive and fatal disease, right. and that they have to keep their recovery in mind. But when it comes to carrying the message outward yeah, to the general public, the general public um, saying I'm an alcoholic and I'm in recovery, the people hear alcoholic and they don't hear recovery. Right. Um, so saying I'm a person in long term recovery, which means I have not. Uh, taken drugs or had drank alcohol since whatever day um, is a positive message. And, you know, I know a lot of people who are in recovery. And I know when I look around, you know, at my workplace, when I look around, um, you know, if I'm on the bus, if I'm walking on the street, um, I, I'm at a party. I I don't know. There, I, there. I'm sure there are a lot of people there who are in recovery, and 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 I don't see them because I don't I don't know them personally, and and we don't see that. Um, I was reminded, um, and they talked a lot about the stigma of drug addiction and alcoholism, and how that stigma is preventing uh, successful recovery programs from being um, from really reaching out to all the people that that they want to help. And and this one guy, this it was this guy in the movie is from Virginia, and he just was really forceful. And he said, you know, he said you you decide you've got that five minutes of clarity, and you decide you want help, and you go to the detox center, and they're like, well, we're all full right now. Come back in thirty days. You're not going to come back in thirty days. You're going to go out, and you know maybe you're going to rob a store so you can get money to to get your fix again, mm-hmm. and you're going to get arrested, and you're going to get service right away. Yeah. You know, five minutes. You know, you're going to get service. There's none of this, oh, we don't have the money, we don't have the room, come back in 30 days, we'll put you in jail then. Uh, and and which is more expensive? You know, $50,000 a year to incarcerate somebody. Uh, it's a lot cheaper to to give them some help, to 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 bring them out of the situation that is that is maybe brought them to stealing. I won't say caused. Uh, and, um, you know, and except he said it with this great accent and on a lot of forcefulness, it was really... Um, <laughs> Really good, and and it was it's so true, uh, and what what it made me think about because they also talked about you know you got marches for breast cancer and marches for heart disease and you know runs and all this you know you got Susan Komen uh, run for recovery or whatever and and there's none of that for for drug and alcohol addiction recovery, but it made me think back to the early 1970s when Betty Ford came out and said I have breast cancer. Because you didn't talk about breast cancer back then. It was not a topic that you said anything about in public. It was not something you maybe even said anything about to your friends. Mm-hmm. And she came out and she said, I have breast cancer and I'm a breast cancer survivor. And everybody's like, oh, you can't say that. Oh, my God. Uh, and so seeing where we've come in 40 years or whatever, it was not quite 40 years ago that, that, that she she came out with that, that I feel like it's possible, you know, it's possible to, to bring that same awareness and that same public support to, to recovery from addiction. You know, Beth in the chat room, Serene Beth uh, asks, would public service ads busting myths about recovery be good? There are quite a few of us if we need unanimous approval. And, um, (laughs) You know, they did in the movie feature, there there are a couple, they actually featured a walk in Detroit yeah. supporting recovery. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think those sorts of things are out there. Um, 
you know, it, it just is going to take some support. And, um, you know, the, uh, that was something that one of the politicians that was featured in the movie mentioned is that there are so many, I don't know, if millions? I feel like he, he referred to millions of people yeah. in long-term recovery. The, and yeah, the, the, the advertising for the movie says 23.5 million, million people in America in long-term recovery. Okay. And so, so he had talked about a point at which he wanted to put some, some recovery and treatment-related bills up for a vote, and um, that his fellow politicians told him, well, addicts and alcoholics don't vote. And, um, you know, yeah. so I, I think that's sort of the push now with some of these walks is to increase awareness and to help all of the people in recovery for whatever reason, sort of band together because, you yeah. know, as Beth mentions, there are quite a few of us out there. And, you know, if we, if we come together as one solid voice, um, I think you're right, Spencer. I, I think we could change the face of recovery and, and turn it into something that's more mainstream and accepted. Yeah. And where you can get care, you can get the amount of care that you need. You can get continuing care after care, which is available uh, you know, all insurance pays for it, continuing aftercare for cancer patients, for heart patients, for, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a disaster what we have. It's a, sh it's a real shame what we have right now. Yeah. You know, um, I have good insurance and, and my insurance I think would pay for five days of sort of intensive detox and then boom, you're out and no aftercare, you know, five days a week, five days a year of mental health coverage or something. And it's just, you know, <sighs> Sorry. Something, okay. Something else that struck Soapbox. me too was that they they talked about how eighty some percent of people who are incarcerated right now are there for something drug related. Yeah. And you know, basically, if you could just turn the prisons into a treatment center, <laughs> things would probably be a heck of a lot better for all of those folks. Yeah. As well and they the rest of well, they featured a couple of prison programs that that are yes. showing some success. Yeah. And they have like recovery cell blocks. recovery cell blocks. Yeah. So, you know, there, there, there are neat things happening. Yeah. Look for the movie. Yes. Okay. If the movie's coming to your area, um, I'll put a link to the website in the show notes, which will be, what is this episode 43? So the recovery show.com slash 43. There also is a link in the show notes from last week. So that's the recovery show.com slash 42 and uh, go to the website. There's a lot of stuff there. There are, are voices of people from all over the country, little, um, video clips. And there's, a uh, um, they've got a page where it shows where they're going to be coming, where they want to come, but they don't have the money to come yet. Um, so there's a little sort of Kickstarter thing happening there to, to get funds to bring the movie to, you know, your town. So, uh, go look at it. It, it, it really, um, might blow your mind. And the other thing that was totally awesome was sitting in this wonderful, um, auditorium with about 500 people watching this movie, yeah. you know? Uh, everybody was there because they chose to come at six o'clock on a Tuesday night during the week uh, to see it. So next week, hey, next week we're going to be talking about, this is a, a topic that was uh, suggested by one of our listeners, setting boundaries without controlling. Um, our listener asked, uh, you know, how how do we, when, when I try to set a boundary, um, my loved one says I'm trying to control them. Or her, I don't remember. Uh, you know, and and I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to set boundaries without it being controlling. And am I being controlling? You know, is it really me being controlling, or is that just the feedback, the kickback I'm getting? 
Um, and I don't, I, I don't think all those questions were explicit, but those are some of the questions that I think we're going to look at. Um, and, uh, and then, very interestingly, um, I think we had another email asking similar, sort of a similar thing. But anyway, so next, next week, um, setting boundaries without controlling, and we welcome your thoughts. Please join the conversation. You can leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions about setting boundaries uh, or about today's topic. And if you'd like to contribute to the podcast through these, uh, you know, the questions that I had there or any other thoughts that you have on the topic, hey, we'd love to hear from you. We always love to hear from you. Swetha, how can people send us feedback? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Just put the podcast on pause and join the conversation at 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send an email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic, the three A's, awareness, acceptance, and action, or next week's topic of setting boundaries without controlling. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Kelly, where can listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Well, they can go to our website, therecoveryshow.com, and there we have all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditations, links to the music we play, and a page to which we periodically post recordings of Open Talk speakers. Um, We've also got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. And there are many ways that you can contribute to the content of the podcast and the website. Uh, You can leave comments on the blog. We are always looking for music suggestions, and we have a page um, with a few that we've received so far. You can look at the suggested topic list, and if there's something that you want to hear more about, you can leave a comment there to vote it up. And also, we've been getting a few um, guest meditations lately, which has been really awesome. Yay! Yeah, thank you for sending those in. So if you are feeling inspired to do that as well, you can take a quote or a song lyric, um... Give us your thoughts on it, and we will post it as a daily meditation. So just hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. Hey, Spencer, do we have any voicemails, emails, or comments this week? Hey, we sure do. Uh, we're going to, But before we do that, we're going to listen to the song The Fight by Sia. And um, we saw this as a, a full-spectrum full awareness, acceptance, action song. Um. Here's some of the lyrics. We are born without a care as we grow old, but unaware as we grow tall, begin to falter. We want to know ourselves, spread love to all. But we fall down because we are human. Yes, sweet anger will feed the hunger. Yes, we push through. Just me and you. And so we find out, you know, we become aware. Um, we come to know ourselves and uh, and then we push through. So awareness, acceptance, action. Yeah. Just me and you. 
bunch of email this week and uh, let's start with that email from Beth. Uh, Kelly, can you read that? Sure. Beth, oh man, Beth, sorry, technical issues. Beth writes, hello new friends. I've been listening now for about three weeks and have gotten so much out of your sharing. I feel like I connect with each of you, Kelly, Swetha, and Spencer, at some point or lots of points during each episode. Thank Mm -hmm. you for your service, your courage, and your honesty. It is helping, be assured. And then she has some comments. Um, Hey, what happened to the Hesitation Blues in the opening? In my mind, Spencer picked that song, just a guess. Swetha, from the One Day at a Time episode, a light year is both a distance and a length of time. A year, right? So the nerds are not busting on you. We love you. Thank you. (laughs) And here's a tough one. Alcoholism statistics are but one nuance of the elephant in the room. Many people don't make it. We don't talk about that much. For those of us who lost our qualifier to the demon and are on this side of the great divide alone, we face healing without being able to be face-to-face with our loved one, who we would like to say things to. To apologize for our peace, to be encouraging, to say, hey, I accepted a lot of unacceptable behavior from you. Lots of things come up when we find our voice again through recovery. Anne H., who is awesome, and yes, she is awesome, (laughs) called in on an earlier episode and said, maybe it was enough. She was referring to the best she did at the time. This was soothing for me to hear, as I lived with guilt that I did not do better during those difficult years, and in fact actually contributed to the load my alcoholic was carrying by trying to rescue and fix. Maybe you can consider working loss into a show sometime. Hint, this conference-approved literature book is amazing, entitled Opening Our Hearts, Transforming Our Losses. And uh, we did add that to the topic list. Yeah. Um, for the future we will get to that as soon as we can um she also has a music idea a song by tracy chapman called fast car oh good song yeah yeah it is a great <laughs> song. song and um she says i hope to write a meditation that draws on letting go as personified by leaves drifting to the earth in fall the season i entered the program i'll try anyway i suck at meditation too kelly and and actually, she did write it, and we posted it. I think it was on Friday. Oh, and thank you very much for that, Beth. Awesome, thanks, Beth. And go look at it; it's got a great picture. She <laughs> says, "Thanks for sharing your experience, strength, and hope, Beth." P.S. I like the way you keep to meeting etiquette of not interrupting each other. It is so respectful and calming. The peace inherent in being listened to without interruption is one of the many things I love about meetings, which was so eye-opening when I found the rooms. P.P.S. I love that you curse. It makes me feel that I am indeed welcome in your room, that you are like me. God damn it, you guys rock. <laughs> and we wrote back with a question um, about whether um, she wanted that song to be considered for loss or it was just recommending it in general. And here's her response. Maybe you can read that, Swetha. Sure. 
She wrote, thanks for answering. I feel very special. I'm sure you're busy. I'm listening to you talk about how hectic work is right now. Fast Car is a song that brings chills every time I hear it. I would think of it more as a song to reinforce how important it is to break the chain through recovery, to arrest the disease before it repeats over yet another generation. Maybe for your adults who are in Alateen, maybe for your adults who are in Alateen show. Ah, yes. Yeah, that was a topic that we talked about. Yeah. Um, I haven't made much progress on yet. Right. <laughs> Uh, Chapman takes care of her father after her mother leaves in the song, mm. and then marries an alcoholic herself tragically. It could fit in a lot of places, though. Also, I meant to say, prayer always happens in the present. You don't pray thinking of the future or the past. Prayer necessarily always brings one into the moment. This from a big, fat atheist, but a spiritual one. <laughs> I like the new song, too, but the Hesitation Blues is so perfect. Oh, man, sometimes it's so difficult to get off the virtual couch to do the work we need to do, even though we know it will be better if we do. Hesitation Blues describes the extended Ed Norton moment feeling as he is famously getting ready to get ready before getting around to dealing with that boulder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Beth. Um, I, I, I'm going to have to put a, a video of Hesitation Blues up on the show notes this week, I think. Um, um, I just really wanted to quickly mention to um, Beth in the chat room mentioned that tonight's live recovered, the topic is grief. So oh, right. In yes. response to this email about the yes. topic and, on and when is that starting? Real soon now? It starts, I believe, at 8. At 8. Oh, we so better get done. So we got a couple minutes, yeah. So if we lose a few of you guys, we will we'll understand. Yeah, we'll understand. Okay. Um, Charlie wrote. Charlie says, Spencer, loved your opening comments. Oh, 8.30. Sorry. 8.30. Good. All right. <laughs> Good. Thanks, Bob. Thanks. Charlie wrote to us and said, Spencer, loved your opening comments on this podcast when, when leading rich, full lives led you to the thought that it means perhaps leaving out all the other stuff. And that was my, uh, you know, basement full of stuff, house full of stuff, uh, storage unit full of stuff comment, uh, uh, which uh, was a nice little soundbite, I thought. For me, that means not just tangible things, but also mechanical things and ideals, tasks and chores and schedules and wants and needs and desires and expectations, balancing them, and more importantly, putting them into perspective, which means sometimes being okay with not vacuuming every day or even every week and dodging tumbleweed fur balls that roll across the floor <laughs> between times. Those of us with pets can really appreciate that, I yes. That. It might also mean being okay. We used to talk talk about the dust hippos under the bed. Uh, you know, they're a lot bigger than dust bunnies, um, dust hippos. Yeah. <laughs> my part, my my partner will sometimes point to to a hairball if we see one and call it the name of the cat that it came from. Like, oh, did you see so and so is over there? <laughs> okay. <laughs> if they're that large. <laughs> wow. Hmm. It might also mean being okay with not being perfectly primped and primed for every encounter or potential encounter with manicured nails, painted toenails, or even shaved legs, God forbid. Yeah, that's like my everyday. Swetha was throwing down some incredible sound bites in that podcast. Oh. Totally blew me away with, I don't exist, I'm the space between people. Huge, huge quote. I had to stop and replay that several times. <laughs> you guys are doing great. Podcasts are getting better and better. And a song comes to mind here by Kebmo called Shave Your Legs. But, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't listened to that one yet I still got to listen to that one but uh, Keb's song says to me is that we are not defined by what we do we are defined by our hearts and souls and by our humanness which is truly worthy of celebration the most important special and special people in our lives know this even when we don't mm. keep on keeping on y'all love this podcast oh, uh, right, yeah. you want to read uh, Jean's email Kelly sure 
Uh, Jean had a question about qualifying for Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. Jean says, somehow I stumbled upon your podcasts. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for all you are offering to so many of us. I am in another 12-step program, but have felt like a piece is missing. What I'm hearing in your podcast is filling that gap. In one of your podcasts, one of you mentioned that alcohol in a family can have an impact for many generations. My spouse had a grandfather, and I had a great-grandfather who were alcoholics. Other than that, I'm not aware of being affected by anyone's drinking. I want to attend an Al-Anon meeting, but I would be uncomfortable going unless I felt like I, quote-unquote, qualify. Do you have any input for me? I don't think I have a firm grasp on what codependence actually is. Can one of you perhaps define it in one of your podcasts or point me to a podcast where it has been defined? Thanks again for your wonderful help and inspiration and for showing your humanity. Jean. And, uh, you know, we did um, write back with, with some our thoughts about, quote, qualifying for Al-Anon. Uh, and we felt that that she, if she, well, I mean, what I say to people and what I feel is that a couple of things. If you come to an Al-Anon meeting and you feel, or, you know, you hear the podcasting, you feel like it's speaking to you, um, then you qualify. You may not actually be aware of the alcoholism in your life yet. Uh, and the, the reading about the, the Al-Anon third tradition says the only requirement for membership is that there be a problem of alcoholism in a relative or friend. But the 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 longer reading about the tradition talks about the fact that that sometimes we're not don't really aware of of the alcoholism that's in our lives, and I know I found more alcoholism in my family after I came into the program. Yes. Uh, and uh, and that and it ends by saying, and and I don't have this exactly right, but it ends by saying something like, "Thus, um, whether or not there's there's active alcoholism or apparent alcoholism, newcomers are always welcome in Al-Anon. Um, and and we don't ask." We don't say, well, why are you here? Who's your qualifier? Oh, go away. <laughs> Was your great-grandfather? No, go away. We, we, we never say that. We never ask that. If you go to a meeting where they ask that, go to a different to a meeting. Different meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <coughs> because a lot of us came into the program really not sure we were supposed to be there. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I knew I was supposed to be there. Um, but uh, but I, I have a lot of friends in the program who really weren't sure they were supposed to be in the program when they came. And they're really glad they stayed because they found out how much alcoholism had affected their life that they just were totally not aware of. So thanks for that. Thanks for that question, Jean. Yeah. Thank you, Jean. You're not alone. Ah, wow. Okay. We've got uh, a topic suggestion from Jen, uh, which echoes sort of the, uh, the email from, uh, from Beth. So Swift, do you want to read that? Sure. Jen wrote, hi, Spencer, Kelly, Swetha, and other podcast contributors. I wanted to send a topic suggestion, or rather vote for a topic that is already on your list. Loss. I started listening to your show a couple of months after you started recording, and I'm not quite caught up yet, so I'm still five episodes behind, which means I'm about to listen to the siblings' roundtable. I've seen this episode coming since it first became available for download, and I've been dreading listening to it because I lost my only sibling, my younger brother, to this disease six months ago. Now, as luck would have it, I come to this episode days before what would have been his 30th birthday. I'm afraid of what listening to this episode might stir up within me. I don't feel like I've dealt with this loss well at all. My first reaction was to be really angry, really angry, at him, which led to feelings of guilt, which led to incapacitating tension headaches. I felt and still feel a lot of really dark, really negative emotions towards him and about him. 
I finally gave myself permission to feel these things, which helped to alleviate the feelings of guilt. But I haven't felt much plain old sadness, which leaves me feeling like I'm either A, dead inside, or B, still have more work to do in processing this loss. So anyway, the point of this really long email is that I'm looking for some experience, strength, and hope in dealing with loss. Maybe a round table? Question mark? On another note, I finished listening to episode 37 today. Now, over the course of listening to the prior 36 episodes, you guys have elicited many empathetic, many empathetic chuckle from me. But the image of Spencer chasing people down the sidewalk with chainsaws brought forth a true guffaw. Thanks, Swaytha, for crafting that image out of Spencer's actual comment about chasing dropped balls down the sidewalk. I love it. Great job, as always. Love the show, Jen. Both the comments today that people made about things I said in the show, I'm like, did I say that? Yeah, you have to go back and listen to it. Uh-oh. Progress not perfection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you know those two emails about loss came in with maybe a in, a day apart. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the synchronicity. Mm-hmm. You know, Jen, when you listen to this episode too, um, something I took away from this past weekend was that there was a common theme of people feeling like they weren't getting over their stuff quick enough. And you know, the continuing message that I heard was, "There's no timeline for that." Mm-hmm. You know, we we all handle, process, deal with things in our own way, in our own time. And there is no appropriate timeline for, you know, getting, getting over anything. Yeah. So, and, and I think we suggested an email, but I'll suggest it again. Um, if you're dealing with loss and grief in your life, uh, I would recommend listening to the episode of recovered. That's about to be recorded yeah. on loss and grief. Yeah. That's something that somebody once told me when I was uh, grieving uh, various things in my life. Um, I kept saying, why am I not over this? Why am I not over this? And this person told me, um, if you have 10,000 tears to cry over something and you cried 9,000 of them, you still have a thousand to go. It doesn't mean you haven't made a dent in it. It might feel like you're stuck in the mm-hmm. middle of it, but you're making progress every time. Well, every time I am letting myself feel something, I'm processing it. Even if it doesn't feel like the feeling is going away, I just might have a thousand more to go. Yeah. So, yeah. And I know, like, um, my mother-in-law died 30 years ago, and, you know, my wife still has occasions when she misses her, and that's normal. Yeah. You know, we don't recognize that very much in our society, but that's normal. Uh, Beth commented on the anonymity meditation on the website. Were it not for the assurance of anonymity, which I somehow knew even knowing nothing else, I would never have found the courage to walk into that first meeting or to try out my voice as I gradually reclaimed it as mine, previously lost to me for so long. After having been brought to my knees by this cunning, baffling disease, I was free to try to stand up on my baby fawn legs in the rooms only because I was indeed safe there. No one would tell. After being in the program long enough to look back and consider what anonymity does for me, I see that taking ownership of what I revealed was great early practice with setting boundaries. I also, like rules and being very trusting, felt very comfortable that everyone in the group would, quote, follow the rules. Mm -hmm. This really helped me relax and start to share. My alcoholic was also a scary rageaholic, so I was attending meetings in secret at first. When I finally brought it up, I was famously told to find a 12-step program, How Not to Be a Bitch. Oh, drama, my old friend. (laughs) Anyway, flash forward. I guess the question of how we reduce the stigma of alcoholism and shed light on the family disease we all know so much about is to talk about it. Refuse to sweep feelings under the rug and exhibit well behavior, all without revealing anything about anyone. We only talk about ourselves and what changed attitudes have done for us. The healthy lives we lead equals attraction, attraction, attraction. Spencer, you hit the nail on the head here. Thanks for the topic and for protecting my anonymity. 
Yeah. Only got a couple more to go here. <laughs> hey, we had a lot of email this week, and you know, oh, we, did. Um, awesome. we love it. Okay. Keep, keep on coming. Uh, we got a short message from Terry who says, I'm having a hard time finding balance with these two things. When I set boundaries, my qualifier feels like I'm trying to control him. I would love to hear this addressed in one of your upcoming podcasts. How do we set boundaries in a way that's not controlling? Help. And uh, we're doing that next week, Terry. So. And uh, Cecily uh, gave us a real short note, uh, re-leaning Tower of Suetha, <laughs> which was uh, something she said, I think, last episode, right? Yeah. <laughs> you did, yes. I was on point last episode. You, uh, oh, you were. Oh, my God. You were talking about just piling things on your shoulders and piling them higher. Yeah. Got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, and, and eventually becoming a leaning Tower of Suetha. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she says, I laughed out loud at that, and I could so relate to it, too. I think my foundation needs some more leveling with a sort of a slanty, smiley, facey thing, uh, Cecily. We had no new iTunes reviews this week, but iTunes reviews and ratings do help us to make us easier to find by those who are in need. And we heard from a, a few people who found us somehow in iTunes. So um, we want to keep their, keep visibility there. So if you're concerned about anonymity, you can give us a rating without writing a review, and your identity will not be shown by iTunes. You're not allowed to give advice, but a suggestion is you give us five stars. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you feel we suck, tell us, because we need to, we need to know that, too. Yes. So it's, it's in inventory. We yeah. always want to improve. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, a little bit of news here about uh, what's going on with the website and the uh, and podcast. You can listen live as we're recording. Just click on the Listen Live link at the top of the page. While listening, you can interact with us and other listeners in the chat room. To get to the chat room, you click on the little speech bubble at the bottom edge of the player. We're planning to record our next episode, which, again, is about uh, boundaries, not controlling, uh, on Sunday, October 6th at noon Eastern Daylight Time, which is 4 p.m. Greenwich Mean, if you're outside the U.S. And uh, it doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show. We do have expenses which are running about $40 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Vern did. Thanks, Vern. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Uh, there's a books link at the top of the page, and if you buy one of these books through Amazon, or actually if you buy anything through Amazon after you click on the link, um, we do get... Uh, uh, a kickback, as it were. We get a, a commission. A <laughs> commission. Commission. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and that helps. That helps too. Um, to uh, to keep us going. So uh, we're going to close the show with a song. Uh, Kelly, can you introduce it for us? Yes. The song is "You Are a Tourist" by Death Cab for Cutie. And um, when I looked at the lyrics, there's there's kind of a progression, um, but but some of the lyrics that they say are um, when there's a burning in your heart don't be alarmed framing rights into wrongs move along move along and um, yeah it just it just really spoke to me sort of in the process of working through awareness to acceptance and then taking action so thank you for listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too if we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time. And remember, it doesn't have to be perfect because it sure as heck wasn't. <laughs> when there's
So